Hello everyone and welcome to this edition of the Talking Pharmacy podcast. I'm Richard Thomas, the editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and we have something different for you this week. Due to various constraints of lockdown and work schedules, myself, Rob, Arthur and Neil haven't been able to get together to record this week's pod. Instead, we've each put together what we're calling postcards, given our thoughts on what's been happening in pharmacy over the past week. So this is my postcard from Liss in Hampshire. I'm in my son's bedroom where I'm spending much of lockdown, WFH, surrounded by discarded cricket equipment and Robert Muchamore books. And my son's 24, by the way, and at university. It's grey and miserable outside and I've been going to press with our November issue uh, for most of this week. So it's pretty grey and miserable inside too. So what's been happening? Well, the world has gone COVID vaccine and testing crazy. I guess because the news has been so gloomy for so long, everyone's gone just a little bit giddy. So where are we? Well, we seem to be standing on the cusp of one of the biggest immunisation programmes in UK medical history. Amidst an acute bout of COVID vaccine euphoria and an array of dodgy metaphors involving trains, tunnels, bugles and penalty shootouts, The NHS is gearing up for round-the-clock mass vaccination of the public, involving up to 1,500 GP practices, drive-through centres, sports facilities, theme parks, along with extensive home visits. Given the extreme logistical challenges associated with delivering the Pfizer vaccine, I think it's unlikely that community pharmacy will be heavily involved in this first phase of the fight back against covid But with more vaccines coming quickly down the line, assuming they pass all the necessary safety and efficacy tests, then the sector stands ready, willing and able to play a significant role in the national immunisation effort. Just how significant depends on what is thrashed out between PSNC and the Department of Health and NHS England. And here, alarm bells start to ring. I mean, it should be a no-brainer, shouldn't it? Given community pharmacies, accessibility public trust and outstanding track record of flu vaccination delivery, pharmacy has to be involved here, surely. There again, this is an area fraught with unfathomable barriers and inconsistencies. And an example of this is that pharmacists have still not been told when and how flu jabs will be made available from the central government stockpile. This saga alone smacks of out-and-out incompetence. Let's also not forget, and contractors sure as hell won't, that ministers have still failed lamentably, disgracefully, to cover the extra costs incurred by pharmacists during the crisis or provide compensation for pharmacies forced to close due to COVID cases or test and trace requirements. Time for PSNC to start throwing a few punches. I'd just like to squeeze in a quick any other business before I hand over to Arthur. Anyone who follows golf, and I know the professor will love this, check out the incredible shot by Spanish golfer John Rahm on the 16th at Augusta, skimming the ball across the water for an unbelievable hole-in-one. Check it out, it's incredible. So that's my view of the world from deepest Hampshire. Arthur, what's caught your attention up in Stepney? Thanks for that, Richard. 
Uh, I am coming to you from my glamorous home office, aka dining table in Stepney in East London, where I have just this morning had the unfortunate news that I've got to self-isolate as my flatmate has tested positive for COVID, uh, or Miss Rhoda as the young folk are fond of calling her. Of course, there are lots of people far worse off during this crisis, but I can't say the prospect of being housebound in the gloomy winter months appeals, so thoughts, prayers and dominoes, please. In the news this week, all NHS staff in England are being asked to test themselves for coronavirus at home twice a week using a lateral flow device, which gives a result in 15 minutes. And NHS England has confirmed this will include community pharmacy staff, or at least anyone who works in a patient-facing role in the pharmacy. Uh, there are a few outstanding questions, such as whether this includes locums, and if so, how that's going to be coordinated. There's also the worry that lateral flow testing is less accurate than PCR, potentially resulted in higher rates of false positives or negatives, though it's hoped that twice weekly testing will help mitigate this. And we understand that if you if you receive a positive test result via the lateral flow, you'll be invited to have a PCR to, to confirm. Um, I imagine our listeners won't be jumping for joy at having to test themselves twice a week, but at least it's a rare instance of pharmacy not having to protest before being treated on an equal footing with other parts of the NHS. So that has to be something. Uh, now, you'll have to excuse me while I search in vain for a Tesco delivery slot. So over to you, Rob. Thanks, Arthur. And good luck for the next couple of weeks. The news this week that the General Pharmaceutical Council has agreed with an overall direction of plans to ensure all pharmacists will be independent prescribers at the point of registration will be welcome news to many pharmacists. In its Council meeting papers this week, its draft initial education and training standards set out that the 52-week foundation training year that's going to replace the pre-registration year from next summer, must include, quotes, at least 90 hours of supervised practice directly related to training to be an independent prescriber. Now, those draft plans will be presented for final approval at the Council's next meeting in December. And there's clearly lots of things that will need to be uh, sorted out before then. But for many, this move is long overdue. Non-medical prescribing started initially in 1998 with the Crown Review. And about 10 years ago, Professor Peter Noyce looked at where a prescribing qualification might fit within the initial education and training of a pharmacist as part of the Modernising Pharmacy Careers programme. Now, he concluded then that it might better sit after a period of professional experience. But as Peter always was, he was open to the idea that his recommendation at the time might need to be reviewed with the passage of time. And time has now passed, and we've seen, some would argue, after a number of false starts, many more pharmacists demonstrating how prescribing skills can add real value to the patients that they have in front of them. Now, clearly, the detail that pharmacists will automatically think about, like which areas of practice would a period of training be possible in, and how are these things going to be supervised, and how are the competence is going to be assessed, will need to be worked through in due course. But I'd say there's a bigger challenge for those whose roles include developing pharmacy services to be fit for the future, and particularly for the negotiating bodies who need to factor in an increasingly prescribing-ready profession into their calculations as to what a future professional service will look like. 
Now, in Scotland and Wales, the negotiating bodies for community pharmacy have been working with this paradigm shift for a while. And inevitably, it's going to be more complicated for England. Less than four years ago, negotiators were still arguing for pharmacists to be able to modify prescriptions through regulations. I, and I certainly had quoted to me instances where senior community pharmacy representatives in England just didn't get why NHS England was interested in pharmacists prescribing. I think if the last three or four years have told us anything, it's the answer to that question. And I, for one, doubt whether the GPHC will be pushing further on this now without a clear signal from the UK governments that they're ready for this. Commissioners have always been interested in capacity and capability before even contemplating switching on new services. As a matter of urgency, therefore, when thinking about services from 2022 onwards, PSNC and the others need to recognise that those services will be delivered in a context where increasing numbers of pharmacists in the workforce will be prescribing ready. And now, last but by no means least, from a cold but for now dry Hampshire, it's over to you, Neil. Yeah, cheers, Rob. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, fair play to Sandra Gidley for me um, this week, um, Royal Pharmaceutical Society president. She's uh, um, four marks to her. She basically came out this week and said that um, the government should employ pharmacy teams to provide COVID-19 vaccines. And hooray. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's, for me, it's a no-brainer. They certainly should. Um, of course, with the right support and funding, we know we know that. Um, but they're ideally placed to provide these vaccines. It's not it's an, it's not rocket science. I, I thought right from the start of this pandemic, um, when the government started to roll out these swab testing centres, drive through swab testing centres um, across the country, I, I, it seemed to be logistically quite awkward at first. You know, difficult to do. Um, I just thought at the time, why weren't why are they not supporting and funding? pharmacists to do that i mean you know the pharmacies are in, in these ideal locations as we know across the uk but anyway you know yep covid19 vaccines full uh, full marks to sandra yep sh- they should certainly be doing that um we want them to be at the heart of this of this program uh so provided they've got the ppe and the, and the proper funding support um to do it um pharmacies uh, you know they've got great experience as a profession in vaccination programs we all know that uh, that's exactly what sandra said um and they can get to sort of people who are hard to reach those people who are really hard to reach, homeless people, drug addicts, uh, the unemployed, people who, who other parts of the NHS perhaps find it more difficult to to sort of uh, get to. Pharmacists are there. Um, I don't think that's something that's been necessarily appreciated by NHS England uh, and the Department of Health as we've moved forward. Well, you could argue that that's been the case probably for the last, you know, in recent years, two, two or three years. I don't think they've really appreciated, going back to the, well, going back to the court case with the funding cuts, the government hasn't really appreciated uh, the accessibility of pharmacies and uh, and what better way, what more powerful way to illustrate that than a, than a, than a pandemic. Um, the PSNC, it must be said on, on Friday, the PSNC said it would push to have parity with the service commissioned in general practice. Um, although Alistair Buxton was keen to stress that uh, it's, it's an opportunity um, that some pharmacies will, will, will choose to take up, not all pharmacies. Of course, there's this whole problem, the challenge around logistically, how, how a pharmacy is going to be able to provide these vaccines when they have to be stored at minus 70 degrees, um, which is a pretty, pretty low temperature. So, you know, it's, it won't be for all pharmacies, but certainly pharmacies are up for it. We heard Addy uh, Williams at Bedminster Pharmacy on, on, on BBC saying that exact thing. He said, you know, we're up for it. We want to be doing this. Um, we're here to help the NHS and we want to be rolling out these vaccines. But some pharmacies won't be able to do that. Not all, not all of them will have the facilities, but some of them will. So some of them, some, some pharmacies will be able to do this. 
Um, so my, you know, my my good my sort of good week, a great week really for um, for Sandra Gilly. Yep, four marks to her. We, we, I think we all would would, uh, would agree with that. Um, I, I'm a bit disappointed with Miss Churchill though. Um, Joe Churchill, the minister responsible for, for pharmacy, um, she published a letter um, in which she was very, you know, she expressed her gratitude to, to community pharmacy, uh, which was never a harmful thing, you know, um, thanking them for their hard work during the pandemic, um, which she didn't mention, which I think most pharmacy teams across the country, or no, all pharmacy teams across the country would be, would have hoped she would have mentioned was the the funding, you know, extra funding. Where's this extra support? The PSNC have been on on the case trying to get this uh, uh, money into the profe- into the um, in, into the profession for for all the all the costs that pharmacists have laid out during this pandemic, and Miss um, Churchill, lovely sound bites about pharmacy, you know, um, saying that uh, you know they've 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 adapted to the pandemic at an early a very early stage. They were there for their patients and their local communities. You know, they were there to provide medicines and advice in very difficult in in, in, in really risky. Uh, circumstances, you know, putting their lives on the line. Um, you know, she was saying a lot of nice things about pharmacy. These were things that we already n- know. You know, there's nothing new in there. We know what far- how what the great things that pharmacies do. Um, but we want we wanted a bit more than that from her. Really, we wanted her to sort of say, well, I'm, you know, the funding situation. So I, I was reading that. I'm not a pharmacist, but I was reading that, and I was thinking, you know, if, putting myself in a pharmacist's shoes. I don't want to hear, you know, how great we've been and thank you very much. I want, I want more than that. Um, and indeed, the letter didn't go down well um, on Twitter uh, among some pharmacists. In fact, it seemed to pour fuel on the on the on the fire of frustration of some pharmacists. Um, you, you know, I think uh, a couple of pharmacists had some pretty strong things um, to say um, about. Um, Miss Churchill, um, one pharmacist said that uh, you know we we don't want gratitude or you know or, you know, effectively shallow platitudes. What we want is a, is a is a is 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 funding. You know, come on, um, we don't care about that. And another pharmacist said quite pointedly, and, and, and it's resonated with me, and will probably resonate with a lot of other people, is that you know the pandemic will be here, you know, in months and years to come, but the pharmacies won't be. And uh, you know. Come on, Miss Churchill. So I, I, it wasn't great for Miss Churchill. I know she meant well. People will say, "Well, come on, she, she, she's not, she's not criticising pharmacy. Far from it." Um, but I think we wanted a bit more. She did say in the letter that she would be. She's been talking to pharmacy teams across the UK um, in order to sort of work out what kind of support she could give. You know, pharmacies. That she did mention support, and we're looking to up the support. But I think we wanted a little bit more. And if, if for me, the letter didn't really. I think the letter had the desired effect. It seemed to pour more fuel on the fire rather than anything constructive. So that brings us to the end of this week's postcards. Thanks, Rob, Neil and Arthur. Please give us your feedback on the format. We'll be back as normal next week and we also have a Recognition of Excellence special coming up with the Training Matters team where we celebrate the very best of the country's pharmacy support staff. This pod is available on the PM website and from all your usual download sites, including Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, etc, etc. But for now, from all of us, thank you very much for listening.